But I think the Jamiroquai thing, that gig came about, I did a function with Rob Harris, the guitar player, sort of stayed in touch and he, and he called me one day and said, oh, we're looking for someone to play second keys and some other stuff, like maybe some guitar, maybe some singing. You fancy coming down to Jay's house and playing a bit? So yeah, I went, I went to Jay's. I remember he was like ill. He had like a really bad cold at the time, so he wasn't in the room to begin with. And, and Matt Johnson had sent me some stuff, like learn these tunes, learn the strings for this, learn the Rhodes part here, blah, blah, blah. So I did. And I, there was one tune on the latest album, and there's this long section with like a big F-sharp kind of altered thing for like 16 bars or something, I think. And he said, solo on that. Yeah, I was, I was sort of, that section had started. And then this guy in a woolly hat, like runs in, like full speed. And it's Jay. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> this, I guess I, this is happening. Yeah, and he runs in, like bounds in full of energy, you know. I, I, he must have had like a lemsip or something. He came in while I'm playing. He leans over to my shoulder and he goes, oh, do you think you're Patrice Russian or something? Or whatever it was. I was like, yeah, okay. I don't know whether to stop and acknowledge the guy or like carry on. or So I don't want to sort of like mess this up. But anyway, clearly like, it, you know, it went well and um, played a few more tunes, had some lunch with, the, with everybody. And, and uh, I think it was Matt dropped me off at the train station and then I went back to London and eventually got a yeah got got a call just yeah we're going on tour with a new album hello welcome back to the keys coach podcast my name's Adam and if you play piano keys or synths then you're in the right place in this episode we are chatting with keys player producer and fellow podcast host Nate Williams Nate has worked with so many artists including Jamiroquai Joss Stone Steve Winwood amongst many others He's also a multi-instrumentalist. He's a singer, bassist, and drummer, as well as an awesome keys player. He's recently released an EP called Chapters. I've put a link to that down in the episode description. And that record features some incredible musicians. Do go and check that out when you finish listening. In this conversation, we chat about why all music is tension and release, why plagal cadences going from chord four to chord one are so awesome, We chat about why Nate doesn't care if a chord doesn't fit in the key. And we also have our first set of questions from you, the listeners. We talk all things sound design and how you can improve your sequences and play more interesting progressions on keys. I really loved this conversation. So massive thanks to Nate for coming on. Just before we dive in, don't forget you can submit your questions for these incredible guests. Just send me a DM on Instagram or you can send me an email adam at thekeyscoach.com. They can be about anything at all, what to practice, technique, gear, harmony, you name it, send your questions in and I'll be putting them to these amazing musicians over the coming episodes. Lastly, we've been releasing some more content over on YouTube. The latest video is called The Ultimate Guide to Chord Charts, and it takes you through how you can make a simple chord progression sound full and rich on keys, right the way through from patterns in your right hand to coming up with more interesting bass lines, and then how to add color to the chords. Go and check that out. I've put a link in the episode description. There's also a free PDF lesson book, which you can download so you can practice all of this stuff at home. Okay, that's it from me. Let's dive into the conversation I had with the amazing Nate Williams. Nate, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, so good to me, meet a fellow a fellow podcaster. I know it's, it does feel really weird. I sort of there's there's like a when I sit here, it's either like work stuff or podcast, and I feel a bit like uh, I feel really anxious. <laughs> <laughs> the shoes firmly on the other foot. So um, yeah. But thanks for having me, man. No, it's great. It's really good to see you. And um, yeah, I'm super looking forward to having this chat with you. I've got kind of like so many different things I want to ask you. And I've also got, it's the first time I've got some questions from people that have been listening to the podcast. So mm. 
um that might be quite fun to go through go through some of those but um okay. yeah i wanted to start by asking you i wanted to actually start by asking you about your podcast just because it's very rare to meet someone with a podcast you realize lots of people have got like youtube channels and all these kind of things but actually a yeah. few people not a huge amount of people have podcasts so i just wanted to ask why by the way for everyone listening you've got to go and check out nate's podcast it's called in session with and yeah do you want to just explain a little bit about why you started it and what the kind of podcast about yeah it sort of came from um like spending time with like family or friends or whatever who who are sort of non musicians and who would who would watch something on I don't know I've got family who watch things like Strictly or like you know those TV things where there's often like a, an artist or something performing yeah and I can't uh, turn to my Bex my, my partner and say oh you know so and so is on bass that's you know my mate X Y and Z yeah and, and I suddenly realised that people watching that stuff they don't almost don't even see those people like you know my, myself included right. Like, as in, people don't see me when I'm on stage necessarily behind the main event, which which is course, totally fine, yeah. you know, because people pay their money to go and see Sam Smith or whoever it is. But also, like, in that band, there's there's often, like, six, seven people making the artist sound really good. And, and I sort of wanted to start sh- somehow and try and shine a light on, on those people, really. Maybe it's a sort of a slight selfish thing as well, because I'm one of those people, you know. So it's, I'm trying to shine a little light on, on myself, maybe. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it. But um, the whole kind of session world is it's quite mysterious, isn't it? Sometimes it, it, it sort of seems like how do you how do you get in there, you know? And it's kind of how do you how do you get a gig with an artist like that? And I think it's great that you're kind of shining a light on all that stuff. Yeah, it's just it's to try and show people that a that they're not sort of robots or or sort of some sort of you know a, a machine that does that does this stuff. Like they're real people who have sort of worked really hard to get where they are, mm. and they've had lots of you know, for want of a better word, like rejection or they didn't get a lot of gigs or it's it's sort of to show like how important the work ethic is um, and to show how the industry works. You know, so I've, I've had like musical directors on, I've had uh, a f- few fixers, you know, people who kind of can provide gigs to people and whatnot. So it's been nice to show, show everyone from like people who have not long since started touring, which I think is a really interesting perspective, all the way to people like I had like Jerry Hay came on. Oh, amazing. It's people who have been doing it since you know, the, the, the 70s or whatever on like, you know, Thriller and stuff like yeah. that. It's not, he's not messing around, you know, that's, he's been around and done all that stuff. So trying to get all the perspectives. Um, yeah, it feels like, I'm, it feels like it's, it's gaining a bit of traction and it's nice. I get messages from people saying, oh, I listened to my mate so-and-so on the podcast and I had no idea about his or her sort of upbringing or whatever, you know, so Life, it's, yeah, it's kind of yeah, nice yeah. to do that as well. It's a really weird one though, a podcast because, um, I don't know if you ever like posted anything on like YouTube uh, or anything like or those more kind of platforms that are built for kind of community engagement. Like you post something up there and you immediately get like a kind of comment or something from someone. But weirdly with a podcast, it's like there's none of that built in. It's like this sort of strange thing that you kind of put out and you don't you don't you don't always get like a lot of people like people find out about it but there isn't like discovery built into podcasts now so even like youtube you get discovery through the algorithm and instagram but kind of podcasts are weird that you very it's always people have sort of found it through like word of mouth or people saying oh you gotta go and check out this or you know it's a slightly different thing that's true yeah Uh, i think the way i sort of try and do it is i sort of and it feels weird asking people to do it, but I often ask people to sort of leave a review or a rating or something because I feel like that probably pushes you up into the kind of the, you know, the mentions mm. of podcasts on, on the on the apps themselves or whatever. I have no idea. I might be making that up, but it does feel like a. I think it's, sometimes it comes across like I'm asking for sort of love, or, <laughs> but I'm actually asking for people to leave reviews or ratings because I think it might get the podcast seen, which yeah, means the musicians exactly. will get seen, and, and yeah, X, Y, and Z. Are you um? 
Do you listen to many podcasts? I do, yeah. I, I sort of, <clears throat> I went through a phase of listening to loads of like music-related ones, and now it's mostly there's a couple of music ones, but I mostly listen to either like some comedy stuff or like a couple of football ones. That's that's pretty much all I listen to now. Right. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to quite a few. I think they're so. There's something really interesting about a podcast that I think you develop. Like I certainly do have this more than any other kind of media. I I have my podcasts I listen to and they're like the closest relationship, like the things I'm closest to. Like I feel like some of the podcasts I listen to, I feel like I really know those people because I just listen to them every day. And like, yeah. particularly there's a great one called Chatterbix. I don't know if you ever heard that, Joe Wilkinson, that. Yeah, 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 David yeah. Earl. So good. Like that to me is just like my walk to work and I'll just hang out with them. It's great. I love, I yeah. just think podcasts are a, a, a sort of amazing kind of amazing thing. So yeah, everyone sure. who's listening, go check out Nate's podcast. It's, um, it's really wicked and a really big like insight into that session industry. So Thanks, yeah. Man. How long have you been doing this one? I've been doing this one since August. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of, uh, I was basically away on, on holiday and I was like, I want to start putting something out there. And I, I knew I wanted to start a YouTube channel. But I wasn't kind of at a point where I could do that yet because I was writing this crazy book and stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I was like, I need to do something that's a sort of easy enough that I can begin to start. You know, I can get something out there. I can do these conversations and put them out that isn't quite as sort of difficult as maybe editing videos and all of that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I started it in August and yeah, just been chatting with Keys players each week. And it's really interesting. It's been so good for me. You learn so much from doing it, actually. For sure, yeah. And the biggest thing was I realized that you just never sit down and chat about this stuff with people when you're out at the pub or whatever. Because yeah. you just talk about so much stuff like holidays and, you know, work and part, you know, everything. Whereas actually to sit down and just talk about music is quite rare. Yeah, for sure. So it's... um. Yeah, that's kind of kind of why I started it. But yeah, it's great. Well, we're here to talk about you today. And I, I'm super excited to hear all about your journey and, and kind of how you got into all this stuff. Because you do a wide variety of stuff, right? I mean, it's kind of, it seems incredibly varied. And you've got like your own, your own music you release. You play with several bands. You work with several artists. You do quite a lot of writing as well. Yeah, the writing thing has been, has been around for like quite a while. But, but it was something I was sort of fitting in around like other work. So... Yeah, it's kind of touring, and and I'm trying to do less of that, a little bit right. less of that, since having oh, I've got a little girl now who's sort of two and a bit, and that, oh, the nice. idea the idea of leaving leaving her for like extended periods really freaks me out. So, um, I'm kind of trying to do more writing stuff, and I'm taking that a little bit more, well, not more seriously, but I'm trying to put more time and effort into that. Really, um, I just that's like my favourite thing to do. I think is just start with nothing and end up with a thing. You know, at the end of it, it's, it's yeah. like it's super exciting to me every time. Weirdly. Yeah, um, it's like a never-ending pursuit. You know, it's like there's always like a new thing you can do or make. You know, it's super exciting. Yeah, there's something really rewarding about writing as well. I think, which is that when you when you sit down and practice something, you might not the the thing you've worked on and the thing you've created might be sort of quite like hidden in your like subconscious or something. Like whether mm-hmm. it's like a voicing or it's like you know, it's sort of okay. Well, I've done that work now, and hopefully that will come out in my playing at some point. But when you sit mm. down and write something, it's like, oh wow! At the end of that, like three hours, I've now got something that I didn't have three hours ago. So, I think that's the thing I find with writing is that you can kind of, you actually have something tangible at the end. Yeah, which is it's, kind of quite cool. It's like a, I don't know. There's something I think some people can put it way more sort of eloquently than I can. You know, people like Rick Rubin seem to be like quote quotable machines don't they like he always has like a yeah. really beautiful way of putting this stuff but it does just feel like this magical thing that happens isn't it it's just, it's just like 
I tend to do a lot of the writing. Logic gets opened quite early on, like, or sometimes I'll sit at the piano. But often, I think sa- I find sounds quite inspiring. I think so, even if it's a a slightly different piano sound or a Rhodes or or a, mm. a, a drum groove or whatever it is. So Logic gets opened sort of early on with a blank page, and then all of a sudden it's like it's full of ideas. You know, it's it's like yeah, it's a bit it's still a mystery to me, really. How it happens. Yeah. Do you like the blank project thing? Because I know some people find like a blank project quite scary or is that kind of like, right, here we go. That's that's where you're kind of most excited. I think because I've done, it's a bit, I suppose it's like people who go, who have been sort of gym goers for a long time. You sort of know the benefits of, you know, you know what it can sort of give you afterwards. So yeah. I guess I sort of, it sort of excites me knowing, don't get me wrong, there are days where like I'll leave here and like nothing good has come out. Um, right. And that, but I sort of have learned to sort of take that as, part of the whole thing you know like some days are great and some days aren't so great but i probably would have done i would have gained in another way i would have maybe just sacked off the writing for a bit and practiced or yeah do you know what i mean like there's there's ways around it if it doesn't feel like it's coming i don't get sort of stressed about it it's only music do you know what i mean unless it's a deadline and like paid work yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna get paid for if i miss yeah. it then it gets stressful but if it's just writing i'll just do it tomorrow yeah <laughs> That's amazing. So you're you're pretty much doing you you do you kind of do this every day, and you go to your studio and you and you write and you play and you record and you do whatever you're doing. But it's like the whole day is mostly doing that. Yeah, like the, you know, there's various things that come in. So like work is super varied. But you know, like this morning, I spent like putting some library stuff together for somebody in sort of like styles of music I'm not super familiar with, but I'm trying to sort of work on it for that. Then I had some right. mixed notes to to, to do. I'm, waiting, I'm producing an EP for somebody and the mixes have just come back so going through some making some notes through that then nice. just before we got on I've been trying to expand my sort of I guess for one of a better word description like hip hop sort of vocabulary I guess in terms of like making making some of those making some beats and making some more notes so I'm trying to there's some artists I sort of quite want to work with and I sort of want to be prepared if those things ever come off do you know what I mean so I'm trying to sort yeah, of improve of you know manipulating audio a bit and making things feel like they're hitting a certain way so yeah, it's like I'm here basically every day. Wednesdays I spend with my daughter. Uh, like that's like a non-negotiable. But mm. but the rest of the time I see her, you know, in the mornings and the evenings and weekends. Yeah. But I just, it's like I, I don't even think about it now. I'm just obsessed with sort of being in here, you know. And, and, and making stuff. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. I'm spending like a period of my week now doing all of these kind of things. And it's it's interesting when you're like, in a space and it's you're working on something all day but you might not see other people and Mm. you're kind of there doing it you kind of get to the end of the day and it's like oh my god what have I done it's actually you've got to like know how to stay motivated and all those kind of things and to like give yourself little tasks to do so it feels you know rather than just okay I'm going to do this big thing you've got to break it down into tiny little that's what I find works for me I don't know if you do anything like that with your with your writing or your producing or anything um I've gotten better at <clears throat> the thing I used to struggle with was was sort of remembering what it is I had to do that day, and and I, <laughs> this is so dumb because I, I turned forty last year, but like maybe beginning of last year I discovered the power of like to do lists, which is so stupid. Oh, yeah. It took me like thirty nine years or whatever to go. You just write stuff down for what you've got to do the next day. So quite often my night before is spent on the little reminders app or whatever it is on my phone, like mix notes for X, Y, and Z, like library do da 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 da, mm. like even stuff down to like. You probably can't see the drums because for some reason the cameras decided to zoom right in. But right. on my drums, I had no bottom heads on the toms for a while. And the other day, one of the things was put bottom heads on the toms and tune them up and get get that sound get going. Stories, like, yeah. Just little stupid little things like that, you know. And that that's how I kind of 
get my stuff done. But motivation is never really sounds uh, almost sounded like a brag, which is not a very good one. But motivation's always been like just there and sort of inherently built into the thing because I love doing it so much. You know, it's like mm. it's never a drag. Oh man, that's so good. Yeah. Wow. Let's chat about your um. Let's chat about keys and playing piano. Was that let's your first instrument you played? Was that kind of your first way into music? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I started. Um, so there was always like music in the house and whatnot, and you know, hearing some like brilliant, brilliant stuff as a kid. And I sort of went. And I got some of my family playing like a brass band and, and that kind of thing. So there was like a great mix of some like Stevie, Quincy Jones, and all that great stuff at home. Then I'd go and like read music and stuff as a kid and play. Oh, okay played some brass instruments as a kid and then sort of started playing more percussion and drum stuff. I had piano lessons from maybe like, f I think five with Beryl down the road who, who I've not seen since, but she, she was lovely. And, um, but it was super traditional, you know, like, I don't know if it's still around, but that kind of John Thompson book that they used to give yeah. all the kids, you know, with whatever the pieces were, at the, you know, but I, I've spoken to a few people about this actually on, on my podcast where I think, I think one thing that can sort of help, with something like playing piano, it's like the immediacy of the of the instrument. You know what I mean? Like if you play a, a key on that upright in my corner, and then I play the same key, chances are it's going to sound very similar. Mm. Like so that that sounds like the thing I I recognise. Whereas if I put a trumpet yeah. to my mouth Off at five record, years old, yeah. it's going to sound like you know nonsense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's a yeah. You're you're totally right. It's so immediate, and you can you can sound. Well, you can sound like Elton John straight away, like right. literally by playing one note. You know, it's like yeah. there's none of this like having to like I don't know tune your. I think the violin's the most difficult one. I mean, that, I, I just think yeah. that takes years to get like a sound that sounds sort of good on like stringed instruments. But yeah, no, I think that that definitely is something that attracts people to the piano. So yeah, you were kind of learning. Did you presumably that was all quite kind of like reading music that kind of yeah. side of it? But then were you working stuff out by ear as well in your own time? Yeah, some stuff going on at home, just sort of like listening to to stuff and, and sort of trying to copy what I was hearing. And yeah, that sort of turned into discovering, it's sort of discovering harmony by accident, I think, a little bit. Occasionally, I remember, you can't hear my keyboard now, but I sort of remember discovering the sound of, it, weirdly, and I can't remember why, it seems like such an odd choice now, but I remember sort of discovering the sound of a B major root position triad, but with a C sharp in the middle of it. And kind of going, oh, that sounds like, something some something really lovely and pleasant you know i couldn't I, I didn't really know how to articulate it or what it was yeah, or that yeah, it yeah. was a what that note was in relation to b but i just found myself going okay that sounds like a song to me now i guess because mm. i'd grown up on on particularly sort of you know i was like I, i'm a mega stevie nerd as, as i'm sure will come up as we as we talk but growing up on that sort of rich harmonic stuff just adding that C sharp to that B chord started to feel more like the stuff maybe I was familiar with. You know, there's that. Adding a ninth, yeah. So many people have spoken about that. That's crazy. It's so funny you mentioned that. I was doing one of these with Bryn Bliska, who's amazing, like a few mm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she she was saying that that's like the secret source. And I, I, I completely agree. I think that discovering the ninth on a major chord is <laughs> like the thing that gets anyone to like the next level like immediately you go from yeah. sounding like a beginner to sounding sure. like it's sounding like music in such a simple step i don't think there's any other like simple step that gets you gets you there and it just immediately no, rings it sings it so much better it's beautiful isn't it I, I, and i think having grown up so, so playing in like the brass band and stuff as well there was they would often warm up in rehearsals with if i was playing drums i wouldn't do anything for you know 20 minutes while the band would play like hymns or whatever yeah. from this kind of if anyone's listening who, who's in part of that world, they'll know like the red hymn books. 
but you'd hear all these sounds. You'd hear those. Often it would be like more of a sussy two kind of thing rather than a rather than an ad nine kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So there'd yeah. be, you'd wait for that sound. So that two would turn into a three, and you'd get this emotional reaction. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I, I guess it was kind of putting those things together and kind of understanding that they were having an effect on me, not knowing and, and also being kind of probably afraid to admit that at the time, because it's not a very cool thing to say that music is affecting you emotionally when you're a kid, you mm. know, from uh, where it certainly wasn't at where I'm from, uh, uh, where and when I'm from, I guess it probably wasn't particularly cool to admit that music gave you sort of emotional feelings. But yeah, yeah. I've learned to sort of, you know, just admit all that stuff now, because that's what music's for, you know. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think it's important when we talk about it to just sort of go, well, how does that, even now if I teach, you know, we'll kind of play, the first time you play someone, a, if I play them a dominant seventh chord and I say, what does that make you feel like, you know, and they say, oh, it feels like it's moving forward or something needs to come after it yeah. or whatever. You go, yeah, great. That's kind of what it can be for, you know. You're so right. People um, don't really talk about what music makes them feel. You know, it's like, I think actually weirdly, non-musicians talk about what music makes them feel more than musicians do. I think what music, I, I, I'm, I'm like hugely generalizing now, but what I tend to yeah. find is that musicians will talk about like the nuts and bolts of what's actually going on. Yeah. Whereas like if you talk to someone that's not in music, like it, it, you can see it in playlists, like with Spotify. So the way playlists, the whole, I mean, as you obviously know, like the way playlists works now, it's like chilled. Um, you're sort of like uh, mm. melancholy. It's like all music is kind of categorized by these different kind of feelings and people will just put on a playlist that has that feeling in the word. And, um, yeah, I think that's so interesting. And I think that's so important to start thinking about actually what these sounds make you make you feel, you know. Nice. Okay, we're back in the game. Let's okay. do it. Okay, so for everyone listening, um, <laughs> we've just done a quick switch over platform so Nate can... Um, Nate can actually play some stuff on the piano. Uh, sort of, it's unbelievable the sort of technical stuff you have to go through to actually get this, get this stuff working. But we've now got keys. Let's just check it. Awesome, awesome, nice. awesome. So we were just talking about the ad nine, right? Yeah, yeah. So as a kid, like discovering that shape for whatever, I don't know why I landed on that. It seems like an odd place to land, but having that that extra sound in there. But I was just sort of talking about how sort of like discovering that music can make you feel stuff. You know what I mean? So like, and having and having spent years trying to figure out more about that, you see, it can be as simple as like what sound you use. It could be as simple as like playing that shape. Versus, yeah, like it's it's so different. Like and it, all three of They're those the same things, thing, just, but so different. Yeah, they feel completely different. And then you stick some reverb on that, and it's different again. You know what I mean, it's like it's just this amazing world of, and that's just one five and three or ten. You know, it's like it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a mad world of of how, how do you then manipulate the if you're if you're writing music or, or playing live, like it's sort of your job to sort of take people on. Well, it sounds a bit sort of pretentious, I guess, but like to take people on that journey, right? To make people feel stuff. That's kind of the whole point, I think. 100%. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That was actually, do you know what? Let's just quickly jump. So we're jumping about all over the place, but I think this is good. Yeah. Someone has asked a question about that. And I think that would be a really cool place to jump into. We'll come back to your stories. So we kind of left you, <laughs> left you off where you were kind of just starting out on the piano. But I, I, just because you're talking about all of that stuff, yeah. let's jump to a question. So. What is your process? This is one from Dan, and this came in this week via Instagram. So, hey, Dan, if you were listening, God, I've, sorry, this podcast suddenly gone very like local radio, isn't yeah, it? it. Um, 
but I like it. Uh, the question is, what's your process for coming up with a good chord progression for a song? So many of my chord sequences seem to sound quite basic. How can I get out of that and find some new sounds? So, mm. Nate, what are you saying? What, what do you reckon? I suppose it depends on the level you're at, doesn't it? But there's, there's, there's a few things that I guess I would sort of suggest. One is if, you, if you're starting out and you're sort of... I'm not suggesting you have to go sort of super out or anything, but like you can still play within the confines of the diatonic sort of world that you might be in. But just just figuring out like a chord. Say say you're literally just using one four five. If you just literally go first of yeah. all, I'd always say like just think about what what. And when I say inversions, often when I'm teaching, like people often think of inversions as what. Ultimately, yeah. an inversion to me is like whatever the bass player is playing. Like that's okay, nice, right? You know so I mean? you don't think about that as your right hand part. No, because it, I don't think anyone's going to notice really if the bass player is playing an E under my C chord. I don't think anyone's really going to care. You know, voicing wise, it might depend on you know some arrangement mm. stuff, but ultimately, it's going to feel like a C over E. Yeah, right. Which is a fir you know first inversion. So I would say figure out what it feels like to go. Yeah. And then consider flipping the sort of tonality of each thing, right? So if you have a one as a major chord, maybe try six. So the relative of each one. So try a relative minor or relative major to mm. each one. So one, four, five. Suddenly becomes six, two. Yeah, nice. Suddenly you kind of flip it out. But some other sort of stuff, I guess, slightly more advanced ideas would be stuff like, if I have like one to two, say. Sometimes I like the idea of really unmusically taking that second bass note, a D, <clears throat> and treating it as something else. So treating it as like the third of, of another major chord. So that, yeah. that instead of a D minor now becomes like a B flat over D. So instead yeah. of... Okay. Yeah, you know, beautiful. Get those, those sorts of sounds. So I guess it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to like light the world on fire and sort of reinvent the wheel or anything. I think you can sort of play with what mm. it is you've got, but just try and... Try and look at things slightly differently, or shapes that you, you know, a C major triad also to me looks like an A minor seven or an F major nine kind of. Yeah, hundred you know I mean? percent. So just play with. Options. I've showed some people. That's so funny. I've showed some people that thing you just did there, which is where you think of the next chord. You think of it right. So it say say you're putting a D in the bass. Mm. Oh, you know the thing where you went to B flat over D. Mm. And you're in the key of C, you go to B flat over D. I've shown that to some people as like as kind of an idea. And the first thing they say is, um, oh, but B flat B flat isn't in the key of C. Sure. So what would you what would be your answer to that? Uh, a I don't I don't care. Like, <laughs> why why <laughs> would I why that. would I care? Like yeah. does it feel nice? Does it sound good? Like that's ultimately what I what I care about. Yeah. If it, um you could uh, you could just consider it like a parallel key, right? Would be another right. one. You could say that B flat is from C minor. So let's just call it a you know, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. Um, honestly, I would say there's there's so much music out there which which goes places that it, it technically shouldn't, you know. Or, or we need yeah. to put a key signature every other bar, you know, change key. But if you play through most standards, they'll go places you probably don't expect them to. If you look at the chart for like Giant Steps or something, it doesn't doesn't have a key change every couple of bars. You know, it's no, although technically no. perhaps it should, but yeah, it's yeah. That's my really sort of like uh, frivolous answer to that question. Is often like, what yeah. do you really care? Does it sound good? Cool. It's so true. I, I recently did these books all about music theory, which are coming out later this year. And I, I, I showed them to some people that are more from kind of like the classical world sure. um, and have studied kind of like classical harmony and all those kind of things. And we got in this sort of, <laughs> sort of just, they were kind of like editing them and proofreading. And we kind of got in this discussion about what like a, uh, a modulation is. Mm. So to them, 
a modulation is like if you're in the key of C and you go into F. Right. Whereas to me, that you're just in C, but you're you're not modulating to F. You're just like going to chord four in the key. You're just on a bit of a sort of like walking around the houses kind of thing, you know, yeah, going right. to all the different places you can go to. And um, it's just, to me, a modulation is where like, I, I guess this is a very popular music context, but like the, the whole chorus of the song goes up into a different key sure. or you go up a minor third for the bridge or you go with this. But it's just really interesting when you realise that actually even within music, people have so many different ways of talking about all these different things and different ways of kind of compartmentalising it in their brains. Yeah, I guess um, it's a super sort of micro way of looking at it, though, isn't it? Like if, if you just sort of zoom out a bit and, and realise that actually that whole song you could see as in C, it just sort of goes to some pl interesting places. You know what I mean? It sort of, yeah. if it, it might come back to C, I, I might have hit an, you know, I might have hit an A flat major chord at some point. I'm probably going to come yeah. I might end up coming back to C, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's changed key, but like like you said, it's just sort of visiting, isn't it? Like it's it's kind of visiting key, yeah. places for tension, and and like my whole my whole thing about all of this is like it, it's only tension and release. That's like what, in my opinion, that's kind of what all of it is. Like that's yeah. that's why we go to that F chord because then the F chord itself is lovely, but actually coming back to C again is like that beautiful resolution. Is like that's kind of what it's all for, you know. Every every tiny tension. Is what mm. makes it all really exciting to, to me at least it's really funny when you kind of learn uh, initially start learning out music theory a lot of the stuff you learn is kind of going kind of more like five one everything's about the five one mm. or like the two five one and all these kind of things but actually like if i give you a, I, mean, I haven't got a pedal but like um you know everything's like you know it, it's kind of all of that there's your secondary dominant going to the five chord going back to the one but actually it sounds so much you know, going back the other way around yeah. the circle of fifths is just like to that is just a completely different feeling. And I just I don't know why we have this big kind of like um, sort of draw towards the kind of the other way of looking at it. You know, um, yeah. you know, it's just as valid. And so many songs do those things. You know, that's flat seven four one is in so many songs. Yeah, it's yeah. just everywhere. You know, and it's like it's yeah, it's just it's just really interesting. And you only kind of realize that when you try and teach this stuff. I had to sort of stop myself doing it the way it's always been taught, if you know what I mean. For sure, yeah. It's like, you know, so I went straight in with like flat seven. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I remember discovering yeah. some of that stuff. Like when I was much younger, I sort of became not obsessed, but I loved this idea of like, but both ways. Like if I play a, like a, a sus chord, and if I resolve to a, and then resolve to yeah. a, And I was just kind of loved this idea that eventually I'd get back to the start, you know. Can you just explain what you were doing there for everyone listening? Yeah, yeah. so I, I played like a <clears throat> a G a dominant, but sus, right? Sus4, which wants to go back to C. Mm. But if I make that C a sus chord, so if I go G sus, C sus, that was now to go to F, right? If I play yep. F as a sus, that wants to go to B flat. Yeah. I could just keep going around until I get back to C again. You're going around, you know, around the houses. And I kind of remember doing the same with Plagal Cadences, you know, four to one. And actually on the, uh, the last album I put out, one of the tunes is, is based on that whole, that whole idea of like extending a, a four to one. So basically what you were just saying. So I went... Like, so I had that kind of B flat to F to C to G. Yeah. But there was something about... There's like a real easy way to sort of connect those things with melody, right? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, it doesn't feel like unusual harmony anymore because there's a melody, like, and that's the whole, you know, 
that's that's the I've, whole game, isn't it? For if me, you can it, find yeah. melodies that are like if you can find melodies that are so singable and so memorable, and then find interesting harmony to go underneath. I think that's just yeah, that's the that's the that is the secret sauce. I think, isn't it? If you, can, uh, if you can do I that. think it might be. Yeah, yeah, no, it's wicked. Um, that's so good to hear you play as well. It's like yeah, I, the other thing. I'm sorry, I've just completely forgotten. Oh, four minor. That's what I was going to say. Four yeah. minor. Um, that's such a big sound as well in so many songs, but it's like this sort of secret thing that doesn't necessarily get get taught on more the <laughs> the more traditional side of stuff. But four no. minor is just in like every single song. So go through and practice in every key, going from four minor to one or flat seven, four minor one, or yeah. all these different things. Because I think if you get those sounds under your fingers, it's going to be so much easier to sort of write with those sounds, isn't it? If you've got those sounds in your head. For sure. And um, I would sort of, to sort of expand on what I said earlier, like if you do find that four minor, like if you're in C, if you see, let's say if I'm playing that, I might end up adding a, a six to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to me, the thing is to always, that's not just an F minor six. I, I would see that as a D half diminished or a B flat dominant chord, right? Like a B flat yeah. nine or whatever. Just so make sure like if, you, if you're writing, like explore those options, right? So there's those options for like what tension do you want in the music you're writing you know so i would say you don't have to go with your sort of first idea always you know like yeah. explore what that shape looks like yeah no so good it's really interesting as well earlier on you said the word dominant so we're getting so niche now this is quite techie but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite up for this sort of geeking out about this stuff um hopefully people are listening who are listening are up for this too the you use the word dominant and i i teach this uh I, I one of the things I do outside of doing this is I run the musicianship class at Trinity Laban and we uh have got this thing that we just don't use the word that we just try not to use the word dominant. Sure. I don't know what you think of this because dominant implies that you only get that chord on the five. In actual fact, um you know, if you if I go here's a you know, you get them everywhere. They don't just exist sure. on the five, so yeah, it's just a really interesting thing how even like these kind of words can suggest actually only where those chords should be. If do you, do you kind of see what I mean? I totally see what you mean. I would say I've sort of taken the word to mean something different. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just what that sound is to me. You know, yeah, I, I'm happy to call. It, I'm the, happy to call it a seventh chord, and, and you know, I don't, I don't really. Yeah. I don't have any super strong feelings about it. Often the dominant thing is because I've sort of maybe it's from teaching or something. Um, but yeah, I totally get that point because it suggests obviously there's there's one of those. Mm. Um, you know, it's like a primary dominant, isn't it? Because then obviously yeah. we can discuss secondary dominance. But yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I would. I'll probably still just call it that. But I don't think I, I'm sort of calling it that in the traditional yeah. sense. You know. I mean, I I still use it if there's like a, if I'm playing in a band or something and someone's playing, sure. I say, oh no, it's dominant. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll still use that word. But I think when you're in like a writing context, it's quite good to just see those chords as just options rather yeah. than you can only do it there. You know. Oh man, that's so good. I kind of feel like we should do one more question actually, yeah, just because we're in this kind of vibe. Yeah. yeah. And then and then we will go back to your like your your your. This journey. is way more interesting than my story, don't it? Just... <laughs> oh, no, it's not. I'm sure people want to hear people want to hear all about Jamiroquai and all these kind of things. Okay. I can't wait to ask you about that. But let's just do one more. Um, and this is one that I thought would be really great to ask you because obviously given your new album and everything, what tips would you give for someone wanting to sing and play piano at the same time? This is from Eve, by the way. So thanks Eve for sending this in. Quite often when I'm singing, I find it hard to focus on my piano playing at the same time. So it's like something around singing and playing because I know you do this quite a lot. Yeah. Like it's sort of like, unfortunately, it's a really boring answer, but like it's time doing it. Like it's just a lot of practice, I think, and, and yeah. it can be like until 
until the piano is kind of there and solid, I think the, vo- the voice can't necessarily do what it wants. And what I have, what I have sort of learned, I think, is um, sort of growing up listening to, I got into like the, the, one of the musicians who sort of influenced me or affected me the most was Jacko as a bass player. Yeah. Pastorius, for those who, are, who don't know. But he just had this kind of um, fearless, like fiery way of playing that just resonated so much with me. And I, and I feel like right. occasionally I still have a little bit of that in me when, when the time is sort of right. But, it, but occasionally it would come out, sort of certainly in the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, when I'm sort of playing and singing, occasionally that bit of me comes out and I try something, like on a gig. Yeah. But I'm going to try and sing that lick that's, that's just come to me in the moment. I don't even right. know if I can do it. <laughs> but it I've go. had this idea for, because yeah. I can sort of see the piano in my head a bit when I'm singing, so I, I can often try and find like lines that that makes sense to me but i haven't really figured out the coordination needed like mm. to do that so, so i will like screw it up occasionally like i have definitely made mistakes like that so one thing i will say is like practice getting the piano under your fingers and don't necessarily worry about like feeling it on the night piano wise like just have parts almost yeah you know i mean and sol- solidify that and then sort of sing options over it at, before the gig you know so work out what your options are and even like rehearse your ad-libs like they don't yeah. they, they can be practiced um, I think more people do that than we realize. Definitely, that's really interesting. What you said though about um, you're, you're kind of you've got the piano visually in your head when you're singing. Uh, so are you kind of like playing piano with your voice? I know that sounds really crazy, but like you're kind of you're visualizing, and it's like you've got another hand that's playing the piano, and then that's coming out through your voice. Yeah, m- mostly if I'm sort of about to sort of improvise, I guess if there's like a lick or or a, or a line that comes mm. to mind, I'll definitely need to see it. I think to to be right. able to sing it, so it's sort of yeah. Uh, although there are sounds that sort of just come because you know you've you've listened to enough music. One has listened to enough music to sort of to, to sort of to know what some of those sounds are. But occasionally, I feel like I'm sort of more accurate if I can see it. Right. Like if I want to sing like like if I want to kind of get those sounds, I kind of makes sense to me to see that those couple of semitone movements on the piano. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I can get to them uh, more accurately, which. Maybe there are people listening to this laughing now and going, yeah, you never get them right. But <laughs> that, <laughs> no, who knows, it might just be in my head. But yeah, yeah. it kind of makes sense to me for sure. And it occasionally sort of happens when I'm playing like a, when I'm playing bass or something as well. It's like a, it's a, it's a longer sort of thought process, I think. But occasionally I kind of need to see those piano-y shapes or something. I, I can't, I don't think I can articulate it, but everything for me is just like goes back to the piano pretty much. That's so, that's, it's so, I think so many people are like that, particularly if you do play the piano. It's like, and that's the, that's the case for me as well. I've got this, I think that's the real benefit of the piano. So I'm just trying to articulate what I'm trying to say, but you always have that kind of visual, physical, like sonic thing in your head that you can use to kind of articulate whatever you want to do. And, it's, and the fact that when you play the piano, you've also, you're also able to generate harmony on your own. You know, if you play a single line instrument, I don't know, like a like a trumpet or something like that, you don't necessarily have that same relationship with harmony mm. that I think piano players develop like right from the start. Do you kind of get what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's... So much, impro- you know, especially with like improvising and whatnot, so much of that comes from just knowing, knowing harmony quite well. You know, it's like knowing certain shapes that work or knowing certain patterns that work mm. as, I'll say, seventh chords or, you know, or dominant chords. <laughs> like... I, I talk about this a lot when I'm teaching. Like all this, a lot of the stuff that you might want to use for improvising is built into like the, the the chords that you play on the piano. Yeah. Like you can use so much of that stuff. It's like free content, you know. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I won't bore you with, with too much of that, but it feels like th- there's a real link. And I know sort of horn players and whatever who do play piano, and I think they do approach it slightly differently, actually. I think there is a, yeah. there is, there is a sort of, I don't know, I can't say a deeper connection necessarily because that, that would be unfair because I think it's as deep as you want it to be, piano or not, you know. It's, but I definitely think people, people can develop it's like different, it's different language, right? I think it's super mm. different, yeah. Different way of approaching it. Yeah. It's just, it, I mean, I know no different, basically. So mm. I'd love to know what it's like to, to, you know, to think, to like approach harmony from a completely different way and, yeah. and not, not from like a piano, a piano kind of perspective or, or you know, I think it'd be really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah. Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favour. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. Let's go back. Let's go back to your journey. Um, so we kind of left off. Um, you just got like had lessons and stuff. When was the first time you played with another musician? Do you remember that? Like getting into like actually playing in bands and stuff. Hmm. It's a difficult one, really, because I sort of grew up playing with, with some like county stuff and you know like big bigger ensemble things. So right. like growing up in, in like local brass things, I played some percussion in like some local orchestral things. There was a local big band, and, and to be honest, I started playing drums when I was maybe six or seven and that just took over like because i think it was sort mm. of weirdly more exciting than the classical piano lessons not weird at all at that age i guess it's sort yeah. of really thrilling to just smash around on the drums mm. um and like you'd, you know you'd hear like superstition and go oh right that i can sort of do that <laughs> obviously not yeah. quite but that kind of thing mm. um so i ended up playing drums so much more than anything else th- like through my through my teens i just i was like a drummer first for such yeah. a long time, I got heavily into drummers, you know, and, and I was a massive like Weckle fan and, and got into that whole stuff and sort of didn't didn't speak that sort of harmonic language really for for a bit afterwards. Like it's sort okay, of nice. the drums kind of left the yeah. piano behind a little bit. I was still noodling around and writing some stuff in my teens and whatnot, but it wasn't. Yeah, it didn't it didn't quite match. Like my drumming was like way better than my, my sort of piano playing. I think at that right, point. Right, interesting. Yeah, it's funny. So many keys players started out on drums. It's like or like got into drums, and it's like it's it's weird how those two instruments seem to go hand in hand. Yeah, I think it's really helped like massively. And I I, I often tell people like if you're learning an instrument, like you should just go and if you're at a university or, or somewhere where they've got drums, like book a room for an hour a week yeah. or something and just go and play. Even if it's okay. like you want to work on your left hand comping if you're playing if you're learning how to improvise or something. Like just just go and check out some play, some drummers and what they do with their left hand or snare drum hand I should say yeah like that's because that's what you're sort of doing with your le- you know left hand when you're playing totally yeah you're, you're, you're yeah it's like look, com- yeah comping with your left hand yeah yeah it's like punctuating what, whatever else is yeah. going on um but yeah I, I sort of <clears throat> I think like musically what I started gigging on drums when I was really young like 13 or something my uncle had like a little quartet or quintet sort of little jazz thing and it was sort of like lots of trad stuff and we'd do like weddings and but playing bass was was huge like the keys thing really came like it was super early in my life and then was sort of always there in the background. I was writing a lot of music mm. and started writing some, I went through big phases of trying to write some, you know, various sorts of music and whatnot. Playing bass was like huge. And that was what I would say when I, my late teens and just before I moved to London, like bass was, was the thing for me. I had a little local band here. We played some like fusion jazz 
uh, stuff, and I kind of wrote a lot of original stuff for that. And I was fully invested into the Jacko thing, and as everybody does, I sort of got into the Victor Wooten thing, and and you know then realised perhaps nobody really needed me to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so much, but you know he you know he does it for a living, obviously, but he's already doing it really well. So yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah it's when, fun I, when to I try I, those things, though. Oh, it's amazing, you know, and it opened my eyes yeah. to so much more stuff and like rhythmic ideas and and yeah, so many cool things about playing with drummers and and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, it wasn't till like quite a lot later that the, the keys thing really. And I, I was talking to someone about this not long ago, like the, because I, because I, I, we haven't spoken about this necessarily, but like I, I teach a bit, and I absolutely love teaching like harmony and, and theory and sort of modes, and and but that's that's something I think isn't often taught very well, particularly online. Oh yeah. And I don't remember the point where I kind of like got it, but some of that sp- stuff really sort of spoke to me once, and I don't quite remember that moment. I think there was right. there were moments of the Mark Levine book that that you know we all kind of know and love. That's the Mark Levine jazz piano book for everyone who's listening. It's like an yeah. um, incredible kind of encyclopedia of the basics of jazz piano, would you say? Yeah, for sure. There's the jazz yeah. piano and jazz theory books, I think. They're, they're both, yeah. There's a bit of crossover, I think, but they're, yeah, they, they really explain it in a great way. And, and I had to sort of develop that knowledge when I started teaching at a music college where I had to teach right. people who didn't necessarily want to learn this stuff. Yeah. I had to make it as, as accessible as possible and I sort of had to really figure out how to do that. And uh, right. that's when I think it really solidified for me. It was like in my sort of mm. mid-20s, I started getting like, oh, it's really way more simple than a lot of people are letting on, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so it's so much simpler than it, it, it sort of initially seems. All that kind of theory stuff. Mm. I, think, I think it can get really overcomplicated. Um, I think the biggest thing is, as like one general thing, is that people often look at things in the context of a key Whereas in actual fact, it's like with everything, it's better to just look at it all from like one scale. So how do you take the major scale from that major scale? How do I make a minor seven chord? How do I make a major seven chord? How do I make a seven chord? Yeah. And just change notes each time. Like, to, sorry, this is super nerdy now. But if you take all of the, you know, when people do the seventh chord things and they stack them all up along the scale, you've got to remember the order of major seven, minor seven, minor seven, major seven, seven, minor seven, half diminished major. It's like... Just forget all of that. Just go to a go to a C and like make your seven chord, make your major seven chord. Like get these, just see the shapes and just change one note, and suddenly you've got the thing you were looking for, you know. And I think I think those those things. And like you say with modes, is that kind of what you meant about modes? The way people teach modes, like they do everything like C Ionian, D Dorian, E Phrygian, yeah, uh, yeah rather there's, there's than a starting lot of, it all from the same note. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of people out there who I think. Don't get me wrong. There's, there are loads of people out there doing it, doing it well, but there are also there's probably an equal amount, if not more, people trying to do it in a way that makes themselves sound super smart, right, <laughs> like okay, overcomplicating yeah. the thing to be like, hey, look what I know. Yeah. Where actually what you're talking about there is is super simple. Mm. Like, well, I could just use the notes from C major to play over that thing you're talking about, but you're making it sound way more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, like, actually, if I do play in C, I'm going to hit some really interesting notes over mm. that D minor chord. If I start spelling out a C major seven over that D minor chord, I'm already winning. Like I'm playing all those cool notes to begin with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But the the problem I think with, and this is as nerdy as I'm going to get about it. If people talk about playing in D minor, or teach that stuff, a lot of people have the safety net of going D, 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 D. I'm going to play D, 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 D because that's the safe place. But actually, if you just think about it as being in C, you're already playing some cool stuff. Like the third of C sounds brilliant over D minor, don't you know? Yeah, (laughs) you know. Yeah, the sixth Uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Those are the cool notes, you know. And you know C major really well, so don't worry about it. Just just go and play some melodies in C, and it will sound great. Yeah, and don't stress about it. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to like. Yeah, 
No, man, it's so, so cool. So what, what was like the next stage? Do you remember like, because obviously you've gone and played with so many different people um, and you've gone on to kind of work as a session musician with those people, whatever the term session musicians means, we can chat about that. But yeah. like, what, um, do you remember like your first opportunity that you got that like that, that was just like, all oh, right, okay, this is now a completely new world for me. I'm now playing and I'm gigging with these amazing people. What, what was that first thing? There were, there were a couple, I guess. There was like one, one or two before I left North Wales to move to London. There were a couple uh, I, I did on drums. I played drums with a, a guy called Griff Rees, who's from a band called the Super Furry Animals. Uh, I did a, like a little tour with him, played at nice. Glastonbury and did some, did some really cool venues. So that was a kind of a, oh, hang on, this is a well-known guy. And I, I always think there's a funny thing that happens with some of those sorts of things. There was this, you know, he's like massive in, in Wales particularly. Like he, he's, he's, well, he's well-known all over, but like in Wales particularly, he's like a hero, you know. Yeah. And you start getting these Facebook messages from people you went to school with or whatever, kind of going, oh, yeah, I saw you with Griff, like, yeah. I have some tickets. You're like, we haven't spoken for like 10 years. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. But then uh, I also played a lot of drums with a guy, a piano player called Hugh Warren, who was terrifying in, in the best way. Like, he, he was writing these amazing tunes and I was having to keep up with him and like John Paricelli wow, and people yeah. like that when I was like 18. Um yeah, just roasted. So that they were like two massive opportunities, I think, before I left for London. And then once I got to London, I was just I was teaching quite a bit, um, and bass was really my first instrument because I couldn't afford a big enough flat to play drums. So, I mean, I just had, didn't have the space. Right. Um, so I was going to jam nights. I, I got asked to be in like the house band at um, the Troy Bar for quite a while on bass on the yeah. kind of fusion night. And eventually, through just sort of meeting a bunch of people, uh, the first thing I sort of went to audition for was the Eliza. Well, she's now Eliza. Eliza Doolittle at the time. Okay. Um, she she had like a support slot with Gary Barlow, like on an arena tour. Now, this is maybe 10, 10 years ago. Um, so yeah, I auditioned and didn't get it. Uh, shout out to Dan Galino who did get it, uh, <laughs> but then ended up not being able to do it. So I ended up doing the gig. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, which was, you know, amazing. Like my first real arena thing in ears yeah. and, and you know playing bass. Uh, yeah, it was it was great. Fantastic. That was that was on on bass. Did you have kind of like one of those moments? Where, when did you like transition onto onto keys? Because now obviously you play with Jamiroquai and you play with all these amazing bands and stuff. And what when when did that like jump onto keys happen? I'm trying to pinpoint it, like the keys was always there. Like it was always sort of happening. I was writing yeah. on keys and playing playing with with people and stuff. But I think in terms of actual gig on keys, I was gigging just round town like on keys. I wasn't really doing much. I don't think in terms of anything. That anyone would have heard of necessarily mm. but i think the jimiroquai thing was so, so that gig came about so i, I don't do the jimiroquai thing anymore um because I, I just decided i wanted to try and do some other stuff but yeah i i did a function with rob harris the guitar player um weird gig but yeah anyway we got on really well i played keys on that gig um just shared some really daft jokes in the break and sort of stayed in touch and he, and he called me one day and said oh, we're looking for someone to play key second keys and some other stuff, like maybe some guitar, maybe some guitar, singing. Yeah. Um, do you fancy coming down to Jay's house, you know, and playing a bit? Mm. I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll see if I'm busy. Uh, yeah, obviously, I was like, I jumped at the chance because you know it's like a, it's a pretty Incredible. iconic sort of thing, you know, band and, and whatnot to play with. So yeah, I went, I went to Jay's. I remember he was like ill; he had like a really bad cold at the time, so he wasn't in the room to begin with. And Matt Johnson had sent me some stuff. Like learn these tunes, learn the strings for this, learn the roads part here, blah blah blah. So, I did, and I there was one tune on the latest album, that Automaton Automaton album, 
I forget the name of the song. Vitamin, I think it's called. And there's some really right, interesting okay. stuff. And there's this long section with like a big F sharp kind of altered thing for like 16 bars or something, I think. And he said solo on that. Oh, okay, wow. cool. And I'd practiced because I would always say like, just prepare for every eventuality, right? So I'd already practiced and gone like, cool, if this comes up, here's what I might be able to rely on. Um, yeah, I was, I was sort of, that section had started. And then this guy in a woolly hat like runs in like full speed. <laughs> Uh, it's Jay. I'm like, oh, shit, okay. <laughs> this, I guess I, this is happening. Um, You're soloing over that crazy chord. Yeah, and he <laughs> runs in, like, bounds in full of energy, you know. I, I, he must have had, like, a lemsip or something. But he, um, he came in while I'm playing. He leans over to my shoulder and he goes, oh, do you think you're Patrice Russian or something? Or whatever it was. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. I don't know whether to stop and acknowledge the guy or, like, carry on. Or, so I don't want to yeah. sort of, like, mess this up. But anyway, clearly, like, it, you know, it went well and... Um, Played a few more tunes, had some lunch with the, with everybody, and, and uh, I think it was Matt dropped me off at the train station, and then I went back to nice. London. And yeah. eventually got a yeah got got a call. Just yeah, we're going on tour with a new album. You need to get a. Have you got a profit? <laughs> like no. <laughs> cool, get one. So okay, so I beg, I got that profit on like finance or whatever, and did it. Yeah, people don't talk about that, you know, like when you get a tour or whatever, and you need new gear. Like it's not cheap, you know, <laughs> especially if it's like yeah. one of your early on, you know. So you, you, you literally just went out and bought one. Did you know how to use one at that point? I kind of knew a bit of sort of synthesis and whatnot. Right. I, I'd never owned like a hardware synth before, but I, I was kind of like a big Logic user and sort of knew about, knew about knew enough stuff. to start shaping some sounds. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was like Christmas, you know, when I got it, I was like, this thing's insane. I was, you know, it's, it's here now right next to me. But just- This is funny, actually. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to jump to one more question, right? Because it. It, it feeds in so well to what you're just about to talk. Cool. Um, talk about... Um, so this one came in from Matt. This only just came in like an hour ago, but um, I saw it before we jumped on. Do you have, any, I think this is exactly what we're talking about. Any tips for starting out with sound design? Just beginning my journey with trying to make sounds. So I'd love some tips on how to get going. And presumably this must have been you right at some point, even though like you've done it in Logic, you got your first board. It's like, what, what would you say to that? Like, how, how do you start out making sounds? I think the first thing to sort of be aware of is that like they, they all look quite different, but most of them do the same stuff like at the at the core core of it like they right. all do the same stuff but then there's like bells and whistles depending on what it is you buy right so the, the, you need like an oscillator to make a noise yeah so be aware of like what they do ba- learn some basic sort of waveform i would say like four basic waveforms right like learn what a yeah. sine wave a triangle a sawtooth and a, and a square is and what they sound like and what they're kind of useful for maybe even like open an eq plugin and look at what they look like Right, so yeah, yeah, see, yeah. Like, the difference between a sine wave and a, and a like a square wave, like it's a massive difference, and it's all those harmonics that make it sound whatever. I would just I would just go to like the basic stuff on a synth to begin with. So learn oscillators, waveforms, uh, filters. Okay, that that's you know and, and envelopes really. So how to shape the sound. So learn what a cutoff means. It's just a fancy name for like a like a filter, right? Like a low pass filter or a high pass, depending on on what the filter is. But and learn what an, what an envelope is. They yeah. would be the things I would just go to first. Those four yeah. things are, are on basically every synth and then everything else is like a bonus. Right, nice. Did you ever like copy any sounds or did you just make sounds from scratch? Uh, like for work? No, just like when you're learning, like before you even got this, like before you even had to like do a gig where you just like, right, I'm going to try and copy that synth sound on that track or whatever, I don't know. Try and make like the jump synth sound. Yeah, right. Uh I don't know, I don't remember. Yeah, actually, do you know what? I did used to do that. Yeah, there would have been some sounds early on where I was kind of, I went through quite a heavy like Pharrell phase. And I remember some okay. of those kind of like synthy guitar sounds he used. And I remember yeah. kind of trying to get those 
yeah, and a lot of that would have been on on like an old motif, I think, like Yamaha right. motif, and trying to shape sounds. I think I had like a twelve track like digital like Korg thing or something. Nice. So trying to you know seeing like when I turn you know it's like a compression knob. Do you know what I mean? There's no settings. Yeah. It's just like turn the compression up or down, and trying to hear what that did to the sound. Of course. Not really knowing that like, there's a there's a secret threshold or ratio get or right. whatever going on. But yeah, in terms of making sounds, there would definitely would have been like presets that caught my ear in Logic, and then I would tweak. There's ADSR at the bottom of that synth. I don't really know what it yeah. means. Oh, that yeah. makes it sort of come in slowly. That makes it ring on. Um, but yeah, I, I would have definitely tried to find some... Some of the sounds that really fascinated me would be some of those, like, um, some of those sort of 70s Stevie things and you know, those, yeah. those Tonto sort of synth sounds and whatnot, um, which I didn't know at the time were, you know, they were, like, pioneering this stuff. You know, there was, there was, it hadn't really been done like that before. Um, and oh, that's definitely. me trying to figure it out on a little motif. <laughs> you know, doesn't sound the same. It's like, yeah, no, of course it doesn't. Hundred percent. It's really interesting because you you refer to you refer to playing keys, and some people are like, even though they might play keys, they they're like, oh, I play piano, and I just like, I'm always really interested in this link between piano and keys. On some of the videos I release, people are like, oh, why do you call it keys? Why do you, why not piano? And I don't know what what's your thinking around those two like words. What's the difference between playing keys and playing piano? Interesting question. I think like in the sort of quote sort of session world, I think keys can mean like anything. I mean, like it could, right. you might end up playing synth bass, or you might end up playing string parts, or triggering stuff, or but it's not a piano. So I would say yeah. maybe piano is is like it's like one thing, right? I think it's its own thing. But keys can mean like you need to learn how to play. Playing Hammond is super different. Playing Whirly yeah. is super different. Right, all of those, So I yeah. guess, yeah, all that stuff comes under keys for me. Piano also comes under keys, but it also has its own category, I think. But you can learn, you can play all those organ and everything and play piano, or you can just maybe mm. just play piano. Like maybe that's the, diff the, the separation is keys is like all of that stuff, I think. I think it's so important to develop a relationship with like an acoustic piano though as well, isn't it? I feel sure. like you're missing so much if you don't. Like yeah. there's, it's kind of like there's all this like sparkly stuff over there that you can go and play with that lights up and makes all these crazy noises mm. and you know it's really flash and looks amazing but then like that the, nothing beats a piano i mean what's your relationship with the piano is it like it like what 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 kind of sound does it make i remember like i was interviewing dan bingham he was just like the felt piano yeah, sound yeah. for me is just like it beats everything you know the felt that sound of a like muted piano it's like what what yeah what What's your kind of like thing with piano? What's your, what do you love about it? It's interesting because uh, <clears throat> other than, uh, well, to begin with, like, other than my mum, I think piano is probably like my first love. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. like, it's, it's really the thing that I, I couldn't, you know, jokingly, obviously, like family aside, it's the thing I probably couldn't live without. You know, it's, it's like yeah. the most wonderful thing to me. Uh, it's also like my best mate and also like my, you know, mortal enemy. <laughs> like I'm still trying to figure it out. But it's, it's funny that the felt thing, to me, it's like, relative, like a relatively new discovery. Do you yeah. I, mean? I don't think I knew that those things existed for a while, and I'm sure no. they've been around for donkey's years, but seemingly they've made it into popular music now. Yeah. Um, I think Spitfire Audio's got a lot to help. Yeah, right. To sort I mean, it's beautiful. You know, prepared that, yeah. piano and whatnot's been around for, for ages, right? Putting random stuff in a grand piano has been around for a long time. But I sort of grew up with a, <clears throat> not knowing it at the time, actually, we ended up having to get rid of it. Was it was an like a Steinway upright? Oh, no way. Yeah, which was kind of mad. And it had a oh, pretty, yeah. like, a, it was sort of mellow. Uh, so I sort of often gravitate to the less bright pianos. Yeah. Oh, okay. To be honest, I think if you gave me a choice between a grand piano and an upright, I'd probably always take an upright. 
Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, it feels. I mean, to be honest, I played. I played a gig just before Christmas on a Steinway Grand, and it was. You know, it's just like magical. It's like yeah. it's like butter. It's, it's unreal. Yeah. But I think there's something about the upright thing which just feels more intimate and more kind of accessible. There's a there's a not a rough and ready. Maybe that's the wrong thing, but it feels less glamorous somehow. And I'm mm. kind of, I'm kind of into that. Yeah. Um, you can't hide behind things on an acoustic piano as well. You know, it's like no, it's. No. It's not very forgiving in the same way like synths and other sounds are. You know, you can play an organ on an organ sound, on a Hammond sound. You can literally just put your arm on the keyboard mm. and it will sound amazing. <laughs> like, you know, and like if you're playing on one of those like funky grooves, like bam, yeah. elbow, on the, elbow on the piano sounds incredible. You can't do that on a piano. It's like you have to, everything's got, there's so much more that comes into it with, with, a, with a piano that's just like touch feel the pedal the sound of the pedal the, the way it responds yeah like i find playing vst pianos so hard do you yeah like particularly if they're not that well programmed because the pedal i think there's a thing to do with the sustain pedal whereas on a piano oh how can i explain it it's so difficult to explain but like on a piano when you put the sustain pedal down um it it sounds different to holding the note down and I think when they sample a lot of pianos, mm. they just amalgamate those two. So it like feels really weird. Um, yeah, like particularly, like I've, the Spitfire Audio stuff's amazing. And I love their felt piano, but some of those originals pianos mm. aren't sampled in quite the same way. So I find it quite hard to play if they don't respond like a normal piano would. Yeah, that, I mean, I get, I get that. I don't particularly find it uh, sort of off-putting or anything or difficult or anything, but I can sort of relate, you know, I understand... Um, you know, everything is resonating, right? When you play that one note with the sustain yeah. pedal down, like everything else is working together or against each other, you know, to, to create yeah. a certain sound. But um, yeah, I know loads of people who the same. So here I've got, so uh, in front of me, I've got this Nord Electro, whatever it is, six or something, mm. uh, which is like the waterfall key action, you know. Yeah. I've got a little kind of weighted, the, the, the new sort of native instruments thing there, like 88 thing. And like I've played the Nord for so long, it's kind of ruined me a little bit for playing real piano. So I've got there's an upright behind a panel over there which you can't see at the moment. So I often I try and make sure I play that loads so that my right. kind of technique doesn't just fly out the window because this Nord yeah. thing really has like ruined me. I, I love the sound of it. It's, it's been my controller for 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 years. So I've played all the Keyscape and all those virtual things with it. But then I go and play over some you know practice some over some standards or whatever, and I try and play the stuff I can play on the upright and it's just not there you know i have to kind of like really work my ass off to to be able to play that like song. actually un like the fingers moving and like yeah. the kind of response yeah. yeah 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 it's heavier right it's like it's more it's way more work yeah, it's so more I, work I, 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 and i've just been coasting on this weightless keyboard you know <laughs> thinking i'm oscar peterson but um, yeah. apparently apparently i'm not did you do much like technique stuff when you were kind of like learning was did you do all that like i mean presumably you did all the scales and all that kind of stuff yeah scales and stuff and uh, and, and the hannon stuff and whatever and, and i sort of I bought a Hannon book, that, well, that, that one that everybody talks about, uh, a couple of years ago. And I don't do it enough, man. Like, it's something I did yeah. do a lot, and, I, and I sort of, I've still got reasonable technique. I think once I stopped doing the classical stuff, which was probably about 16 years old, I, my left hand got a bit lazy, I think. So it's now often used. I might play bass parts if I need to, you know, while I'm, while I'm playing piano. I might sort of play, you know, if I'm noodling around, I might walk a little bit with it or whatever, but I'm rarely ever playing, like, I need to get into some Bach or something just to get my left yeah. hand going again, really, or some yeah. of those those books because my left hand's definitely gotten lazy. Like I, I find myself occasionally going, I might play like a, uh, 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 where's it? Again? Oh yeah, whatever that, okay. that tune, right? So yeah, my yeah, left yeah. hand's just going like, 
and going, oh, no, you've forgotten how to do all of this. You know, there's like the movement is yeah. kind of weirdly gone. Um, my left hand's like my sort of lazy friend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Yeah. It sort of tries to have your back, but <laughs> yeah. stitches you up. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've transcribing bass lines is really cool for that. Like finding something mm. and taking that down and, and then trying to play that with just some really simple chords in your right hand. Because so I think so, so often what happens is people like use their right hand to get all the like if they're playing solo the right hand to get all the rhythm but actually in a band like so much of that comes from the low end mm. rather than the upper parts you know yeah. And I, I, yeah anyway it's really interesting so you're going out on tour this year with the steve winwood you just want to tell everyone like that seems like an absolutely incredible gig with michael mcdonald as well michael mcdonald's playing in that so yeah we're doing so i'll be in steve's band and the doobie brothers are also playing uh and michael That's mcdonald's obviously with them uh but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of like the idea of sort of maybe being in catering and seeing Michael McDonald walk in is sort of pretty <laughs> mad to me. We were meant yeah, to do the similar pretty amazing chats. Yeah, it should be good. We were meant to do the similar tour um, a few years ago <clears throat> with uh, with Steely Dan, which wow. I was, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Steely Dan fan. But um, yeah, for one reason or another, the, the tour didn't happen. So this year, I'm sort of super hoping it's equally as exciting to me, you know, to go and like minute by minute it was something I worked quite hard to learn years yeah. ago, you know. Um, yeah, so going to go and hear those those guys do it every night is going to be amazing. Yeah, so that's five weeks in the states, and I'm playing. Basically, I'm still waiting to hear exactly. But but last time we sort of prepared, I was sort of playing like a bit of everything, really, like some keys and. But it's yeah. it's really fun to sort of sit and play like higher love or whatever. Yeah, and I'm playing like that marimbo y sort of like DX7 part, you know, oh, nice. kind of sitting there going, and then I'm also speaking to you know somebody asked the question about singing and playing. I also got to like do BVs. With that stuff, Wicked. like Shaka Khan's BBs for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretending to be Shaka Khan, which is you know, it's going to go either really well or really badly. Well, I'll I'll keep you posted. But um, so will you have like a sort of period just before you go out on tour where you're like revising all those songs because you've obviously played them before. But like, what what's your process for getting back into that music if you haven't played it for a while? Uh, to be honest, like even now I'm sort of like I'm just sort of listening to them, right. just just pa pretty passively. To be honest, like maybe yeah. yeah, just putting them on. Like if I'm here and here, like tweaking some some drum stuff or, or whatever it is, or maybe. Maybe I think I did my tax return a while ago. I had them on in the background. Do you know what I mean, just like have them yeah. on and go. Oh yeah, I forgot about that middle eight thing. So it starts like that, really. Then we've got a couple of days together in March, just to figure out exactly what's what's happening. And then, then it'll be like mega shedding. Yeah, it'll be yeah. listen a lot away from the keyboard, just to kind of that. That I think helps with like structures and stuff for me. Mm. That's um, some of those tunes that they're they're amazing tunes, man. Like he's such a like crazy songwriter, and some of the structures are just really like quite unusual i think so yeah, occasionally it'd be, no, totally. it goes to a place i don't expect it to i'm like of course yeah <laughs> that you're going around the u.s with that tour is that right yeah it's five weeks yeah so wow the tour is even longer than that but robert cray and his band are doing like some of the uh, west coast dates and then we're doing like east coast and then yeah so it's it's pretty solid actually it's like a like two shows on uh like two show days and a day off and then maybe a couple of days off here and there but it's it's pretty solid yeah steve's i think steve's like 73 or something 74 wow. maybe like he's, but he's still singing everything in the original keys. Like it's insane. Like his range is is bonkers. Man. Incredible. Yeah, Just, amazing. Yeah, crazy. That'll be fun touring. Tour, do, 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 do you enjoy the touring kind of thing when you do it? I do. Yeah. I think it depends who you're with, like and how long you you're there for and where you are. You know, I've been some places where you know we were advised by locals to not go out. You know what I mean, like to, to oh, wow. some sort of sketchy places or whatever. But I'm kind of looking forward to experiencing some of these these parts of the states I've never been before. Like Steve and everybody in the band's great. Um, it's the, but it's the first like long stint I've done since having a kid, so I'm genuinely like like mega anxious about that. To be honest, like, I, I'm yeah. sort of I'll be I don't mind admitting I'll be like an emotional mess. I'll be a wreck, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But um, oh. FaceTime hopefully will help, and 
yeah yeah man got to do the work you know no it's going to be incredible let's talk about your new album which yeah. has come out chapters um i've had i've had that on uh, this morning it's wicked man so good that That's first right. track on it um i'll be sure to forget your name is uh so good i absolutely love it so catchy so good Thanks, um man. just talk to everyone like what was the thinking behind that album because it's got an absolutely like incredible uh ray of musicians on that album it's like i was looking at the lineup it's just like everyone who's everyone yeah yeah i mean it's, it's incredible like i've just got some talented friends really who, who are generous enough with it you know super generous with their time and, and whatnot but um to be honest i didn't i didn't know it was going to be called chapters or anything but it, like i just i ended up having this sort of idea to try and write some tunes which were based on mostly based on sort of experiences and it turned out they sort of they sort of lined up with sort of various sort of very specific periods in my life yeah and also i planned to release the album a couple a couple of years earlier but we had a kid <laughs> and uh for anyone that doesn't know that that's like a lot of work um so it put the album back a bit and it was difficult to get in here to record stuff and and, and whatnot but eventually kind of got it done and i thought do you know what i'll release it so i released it on my 40th birthday and thought actually it's like a nice way to sort of i'll, I'll call it chapters it's like little chapters of my life this is a big yeah. chapter like turning 40 is a bit of a moment and to be honest, when, when I put it out, I, I told Bex, my, my partner, that it was probably the last thing I put out, just because it's hard, man. Like do, putting music out and put, doing it all yourself, it's, it's like hard to get it work. done. It's a lot of energy. It's like it's super rewarding at moment in, in moments, but it's actually like really hard work and and quite disheartening at times when you kind of maybe it doesn't go where you want it to go or. You know, mm. there have been some really wonderful things that have happened. You know, it's, it's been released like a label in Japan have put it out, and, and they've pressed some CDs. It's in like Tower Records in Tokyo, and it's like oh, yeah. genuinely like amazing. But there are moments where you're like, oh, nobody's listening. You know, this this, right. this is rubbish. It must be rubbish or whatever. But like my genuine thing is, I genuinely think it's the best thing I've ever done. That's like in, that's sort of enough, really. You know, but the, the talented people on it you mentioned are, are all just crazy good, brilliant musicians. That you know some some brilliant features on there as well. Steve Winwood was was kind enough to put some organ on on a tune. Um, yeah, there's there's shout out if any 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 of the Hornhouse guys are listening. They sent me a video. There's a tune on there, an instrumental tune, which is my nod to Contusion. That's the EV tune, really. Right. Yeah. So and I good. got a, I got a video from the Horn guys when they were recording it. All of them just calling me names <laughs> <laughs> while they were recording it. Just go, dude. Just stop writing this stupid stuff but whatever but um well because it was they, so complex like, yeah it's you know, quite yeah. tricky i think on horn yeah i basically yeah. wrote this melody and sent it to tom walsh who I, I guess you probably know yeah i know tom um, he's great amazing i said is this doable on he's trumpet? a trumpet player by the way for everyone listening yeah, he, he, he's actually the guy that does um the james bond like apparently he's done one or two of those i think now yeah pretty cool but he you know he's crazy and has the technique to pull off the most ridiculous stuff i sent him a message saying can you do this and he said yeah, I reckon. <laughs> Somehow Nickel did it on trombone, you know, trombone. And, yeah, but honestly, man, cha chapters, I think I'm super proud of. It won't be the last thing I ever do because I've started writing again. But Oh, nice. Yeah, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to put a song about my, my daughter on there as well. The last, the last track is, is sort of for her, really. But, um, oh, beautiful. Yeah. Well, everyone listening, you should go and check out this album. Do you want to just tell everyone where it's available and like where they can go and find out more about your kind of, your kind of, your, your music? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's available all the usual places if you want to stream it anywhere you sort of you do that really there's there's bandcamp um like nate williams music is on bandcamp or i'm at nate groove on instagram there's usually some some information on there like i'm usually spamming people with stuff on there but um yeah just i i sort of hope people love it you know what i mean it's uh, not everybody will and that, i'm kind of cool with that i think that's like a really good place to be yeah it's a like real feel good room. album i think and if you're into like 
kind of those it's got oh, it's, it's got so, it's got so many influences I don't even want to start naming influences but it's just like it's feel good it's funky it's soulful it's got like jazz harmony in there it's like killing horns it's like groovy yeah it's brilliant man you've done an awesome job on that i'm gonna, thanks, I'm gonna be having it on so yeah nate it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today thanks so much for coming on what a treat man thanks for having me thanks so much for listening and a huge thanks to nate for coming on in the episode description i've put a link to nate's instagram and also that latest ep chapters go and check that out and do go and hear him play live we'll be back next week with another episode but until then remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and i'll see you in the next episode